Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. I would appreciate it. We're going to be uh, picking back up in the book of Mark. We are taking this year to work our way through the book of Mark in no kind of hurry, just going verse by verse, passage by passage, and finding out what can we in the 21st century learn from what was written in the first century for us. We have inherited the beautiful Word of God, God's Word in, in, in human voice, uh, for us to be able to learn from and get to know our Savior and know our faith, and that's why we do this. So this morning as we get going, I just want to remind you that the central theme of the book of Mark is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. My hope is that by coming to Sturgeon Bay Community Church on any given Sunday, what you're going to hear and come to understand is that Jesus Christ is real, He loves you, He is the Messiah, the Son of God, who came so that you could be at peace with God. And by giving your heart and your soul to Jesus, trusting Him with your life, with your eternity, with salvation, that you can enter into a personal relationship with a Savior who knows you and loves you. And that will give reason and meaning to every single day of your life. And without Him, it's really just a counterfeit life you're living, hoping for meaning, hoping for purpose. But in Christ, there is real peace every single moment of every single day. So going through the tough times, going through the great times, Jesus does that with you. And being a part of the Christian family of a great church like this gives you the opportunity to never be alone, but to always know that you're loved. As much as you love Jesus, that's how much He loves you. And that's what the church family is there to do, is to love you as well. So thank you for being here this morning. We're going to pray, and we're going to dive straight into the book of Mark. Father God, thank you for John Mark. Thank you for the time he took in his life um, <clears throat> just to write down his gospel, what he knew and he understood and he saw about you. God, so that so many years later we can look to these words and we can learn about your ministry and what you would have us understand about you as our Lord and our Savior. So I just pray God, as we go through this message this morning, that the words will leap off the page, that the messages that you want us to understand and apply today uh, will be right there in front of us. God, let us just dine, let us feast on that, and let us be energized to go out and live lives that are changed. These things we pray in the name of you, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Mark, the sixth chapter, and get to the 30th verse. So Mark 6.30 is where we're going to be picking up today. And as we do that, we're going to be looking at us. Uh, you've probably heard it taught uh, about the loaves and the fishes, and, and you've heard taught about how Jesus did a miracle, and, and all these people were there. I believe this is one of those stories that because all four gospel writers recorded it exactly the same way, in different places and years apart from one another, that it's exactly the same. And the importance of that ought to resonate with every single one of us. You see, the importance is that there are lessons and messages that Jesus was trying to teach that we're going to miss if we don't stop and pay close attention. 
whenever you look through the Bible and you see something that's recorded over and over and over, that should be a red flag. Pay attention. There's things to hear. When Jesus teaches in parables and in stories and teaches through examples, there ought to be things that we're paying attention to and listening that are trying to say, there's more here than meets the eye. And that's the challenge of the feeding of the 5,000. There's so much here. But we do what we Americans do, don't we? We want the quick flyby. We want just, just give me the cliff's notes, just give me the summary, instead of taking the time to read and to find out what God's really trying to teach us through there. So um, we're going to go straight to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. You be patient with me as I try to decipher all this writing on this page that gets smaller as I get older. Um, so we're going to go verses 30 through 44. Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and did not have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So when ashore, a large crowd had, he saw the large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, Jesus responded. <laughs> they said to him, should we go and buy 200 days' uh, wages worth of the bread and give them something to eat? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, he said, they said, five loaves and two fish. And he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 100s and 50s. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he blessed it and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate. Everyone was satisfied. The disciples picked up the 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. This takes place on a seashore in a vicinity, in a, in a geographic region the size of Door County. Now put that in your head for just a second. The Sea of Galilee, 5,000 men and many of them having their family with them. 5,000. You processing that for a second? Okay. If everybody just brought a friend or a wife or a kid, you're looking somewhere north of twelve to 15,000 human beings. If 15,000 people got together in Door County, do you think it would draw attention? Do you think folks would notice? If you put 15,000 people together, there's some questions that come to mind. All right? Some of them that come to my mind as kind of a, you know, a, a, a making sure everything's laid out guy, where are the captain commodes? I'm just saying, what, where's the food trucks? What are they going to eat? What are you going to sit on? Is everybody going to get some nice green grass or is somebody going to have to sit on a rock? Do you have kids like mine after about 10 minutes are going, this is boring. 
the fascinating thing here is these people have sat and listened and are captivated. Nobody's leaving. Everybody's staying. The sermon's long. It's all day long. That's why today we're going to be here till 4. We're, I'm just kidding. As Jesus is teaching, people are fasting and they're staying and they're listening, but they're getting hungry because they're human beings and they're hungry now. Okay, so the apostles who are there have a real concern and, and they come to Jesus with this concern. But what I want us to do today, I want us to take a step back and I want us to look at this story in a way that maybe we haven't looked at before. We're going to be looking at four primary things as we go through this story. Look, there are, there are many, 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 many takeaways. I, I want to make sure you understand this. I'm only going to look at four this morning. We're going to breeze by them fairly quickly. My challenge to you is going to be this. Take some time as good students during the course of the weeks ahead, maybe in your life group, in your personal devotion times in the morning with friends, with, with other folks, maybe over lunch today. But I just want you to think about all the other lessons that can be learned out of this feeding of the 5,000. All four apostles record it. I'm sorry, all four authors write it exactly the same way. What are we trying to see here? What are they trying to tell us? We're going to look at four things, but there's so much more. An internet search, a, a good read. We'll take it in directions you never imagined. And uh, this is an important account, so I want us to, to keep that in mind. Four things, though, we're going to look at today as a church. The first, um, the importance of time to rest and reflect, but it's not always easy to come by. That's the first thing. Second thing, faith is like vision. It leaks. Third, the twelves and all the messianic illustrations that are so plain in that text to people of the ancient world and should be plain to us. And finally... 5,000 men? Is Jesus a chauvinist? How come it doesn't talk about the women and children? What's this whole men thing about? So we're going to take a look at that. Hey, in our day and age, that's a pretty common accusation against the Bible, isn't it? About Jesus and Paul, they're chauvinists, you know, they're anti-women. No, 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 ignorant friend. That's not at all what's going on here. And so it's important for us to look to the Scripture and see what it's actually saying and teaching. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Who's got kids? Okay. You know what it is when you've had kids to no longer have sleep. You know what it is when you're a student and you go to school uh, to have to do late night studies and preparing for, for uh, tests and exams and, and thesis and dissertations. And the more school, the bigger that the pressure gets. But you understand what it is to be completely exhausted. And if you've done school long enough, you have had that drool on the book face where you just fell asleep in the midst of time can slip away from you and it can get really busy if you're just old enough to remember this scene uh, you can think about what it is when work starts to get away from you and things <laughs> if you're under 40 just don't worry about it it'll, it'll make sense to you at some other point in time um, it's important that we get away and we rest and we stop our toils from time to time just to learn and to to process what's going on in our lives there's a time for everything under the sun, said the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon or the shepherd of Hermes, whoever you want to argue that. But what he was saying in one of those is there's a time to rest and a time to work. And, and, and in all these times and times, what he's trying to get across is priorities, priorities. Make sure you take time for the things that matter. In the very beginning of this passage that we're seeing here uh, in, in verse 30, we find that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a place and rest for a while. Hey, listen, 
you might not have thought about this, but let me bring it back to your attention in context. When Jesus' apostles have come back, they've been gone for what could have been weeks. They've been going village to village, town to town, all over the Middle East there, and they're sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in every synagogue and town that they could find. Some people welcomed them and some hated them. These apostles had been brutalized in some places, and they had been truly lavished in others. They had healed the sick. They had, they had given sight to the blind. They had cast out demons, and, and they were depending on the people to take care of them. This was a stressful time for them. It was also exciting, and they wanted to share the good stuff and lament on the bad, and they're ready to have this time with Jesus, okay? Put a pin on that. Jesus during this time, has gone home to his hometown there in Nazareth. And he's gone to share and to speak in the synagogue. And he's speaking to the people. And they are furious with, who do you think you are? And they take him out to a cliff and they're going to throw him over the cliff. But he's God. So he was like, pause and walks through the crowd and leaves. Um, but they have rejected him. And that's hurtful when the people that you love the most reject you and shove you out and don't want to hear from you anymore. And if that's not bad enough, Jesus just had his cousin, his cousin that he had grown up with, John, was murdered by a corrupt king. Where's the justice? Jesus has been through a lot. Jesus needs a break. He's human just like you and me. The apostles need a break. But the ministry continues to call. And as as they're in that boat, they're just trying to get away. They're just trying to take a break. But as fate would have it, the Sea of Galilee is an inland sea, and you can see all the way across it. And as they're trying to leave to get away, the people are watching. You know, they're pulling out their binoculars and saying, oh, there he is. And so they run around the lake, and they gather, and they swarm him, and he can't get away, and they're all around him. And the apostles and Jesus just need a break. Are you feeling the scene for just a minute? You understand when Jesus starts to engage the crowd that the apostles are going, Ah, oh, come on, we're supposed to be relaxing. Are you going to teach these people again? This is going on. Don't forget that this is what's happening at that moment in time. So um, let's, go, let's go back to what we're going to look at here. There's a time for everything under the sun. We need to take time to relax and break. You need to take date nights, couples. Okay, you need to take a break from study sometimes, students, and just decompress a little bit. When you come back, you're able to absorb more and, and learn more and engage more. But constant study, constant focus, constant absorption into things uh, is not healthy for you. Constant giving and giving and giving means that from time to time you need to take a break for you to heal up so that you're still good to everyone else. Work in family, rest in worship and friendship. This is what the church does. It helps you to recharge and to reinvigorate. Taking time away from the workday on Sundays and the work week on Sundays was part of God's plan for people. It's not a legalism thing. That day of rest is for God and for family, for fellowship and family. And take a break. That's what God was trying to get across to us. I understand that in our modern culture that can be impossible for some of us. But let's always remember that God designed us to rest and to relate, not just to work. Ministry burnout is a very real thing. It's something that happens not just to paid pastors and staff who give our whole lives to the church, but it also happens for those of you who are volunteers serving in the life of the church. It can so be that work and doing and doing and doing and doing in the life of the church can consume you. 
and you can lose your balance. And time to time it happens where, where you don't want to serve anymore because you're burned out. This is a danger that you need to prepare yourselves for and pay attention to. You can do it at work. And we can see it happening at work, and that's why we vacate. In the ministry time and serving in the life of your church and giving in the lives of other people, this can happen as well, and you need to pay attention to ministry burnout. Take some breaks, but always come back and put your hand back to the plow that God called you to. Your time, your talent, and your treasure belong to God, and the church is where you invest. And it may be that from time to time and all the time, we need to reevaluate our values and our priorities to make sure that we have time for family, time for friends, and time for giving of our time, talent, and treasure to God and His kingdom. When those things get out of balance, we're out of balance, and our service is out of balance, which means God's kingdom gets out of balance, not just at the church, but in your own life. And I guarantee you, I bet, there's people in the room today who are so busy with work, so busy with the pursuits of things at, at home and here and there and jobs and vacation that you're not able to give of yourselves in the life of your church. The job rewards you with a paycheck. Keen bean. The family rewards you, of course, with the love and the, and, and the bonds of family. But the family of Christ rewards you, too, with ultimate meaning and belonging and kingdom value that is going to last forever. And what Jesus was showing through his example is that sometimes... The kingdom work has to usurp even our own wants. Are we tracking? Those sheep without a shepherd needed Jesus. And they needed the apostles there too to teach and to lead and to meet the needs of people there. And the disciples stepped up where the apostles were stepping back in this moment. And that's important. Last thing we just kind of point out here. Jesus sets an example of having friends. Now, you're supposed to have friends. You realize that, right? You go through life of just you and your family and you don't have friends, you miss out on a major part of what it is to be a person, to be a, uh, a child of God. We, if we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, and our mind, and we love our neighbors ourselves, it means we need to spend some time with our neighbors, right? So Jesus demonstrated this with some of his friends. Jesus had Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These are people we know that he spent time with as his friends. There's a, a neat scholarly debate that's taken place over, over the years and everything of whether Jesus knew James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Peter, ahead of time. That Jesus, who had lived right there in that region, and Jesus, who had built there in Sephora and done his trading and his business there in, in the town of Capernaum, that he would have known a lot of these people. But we know that Jesus spent time with his friends, and that's what he called those apostles, his friends, remember? He demonstrated that friendship is a part of the Christian life. If we don't make time for friendships, hey, you get inwardly focused. You get, you get empty. You see, here's what friends do. They, they laugh with you, and they cry with you, and they struggle with you, and you come alongside of them when they have a need, and they come alongside of you when you have a need. And when you're celebrating something, you want to call your friends, and you all come together, and you share a meal, and you celebrate together. And when, when your kids and their kids are together, there's the friendship. And this is family and community. This is how you're built. This is how you're made. And when we don't have that, we try to run our human engine on, on a lack of fuel or the wrong fuel. Work does not fuel healthy relationships and friendships the way just friendships do. It's how we're made. How many of you have a car that runs on gasoline? How good's it run when you put diesel in it? Pretty good, huh? 
How good are you going to function as a human being designed to be in relationship and friendships if you're not putting that fuel in the tank? You see, there's a time for everything. And sometimes it's just time to take a break and to recharge and to refuel and to rest. Sometimes there's time just to spend moments or hours in front of God, just in prayer, just getting in front of your Savior with everything else pushed aside and reconnect and refocus on your God. We need these things. And Jesus said this directly to his apostles. Let's come away and rest. Now, the boat ride was the time of rest. You know, the, the ride across the Sea of Galilee was probably a couple of hours at least. Hey, that was the time to stop and to rest a little bit. You think Jesus and the apostles, they, they got in the boat and they just rode silently? Till, you know, change the sail. You think that's what they did in the boat? No, come on. They're excited. They were sitting in that boat. You know what they were doing? They were doing just what we do. Oh, 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 and then, and then, and then they did, oh, my turn. Oh, hey, and I was talking to this village, and then, and then they stoned me. It was really terrible. And I got this spoon on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Hey, we went to this village, and they were sharing. And then we cast out a demon. That was weird. You know, so they're talking back and forth. Jesus, they're having a great boat ride, and they get to that shore. Don't you know? It's like, oh. Here they are again, the takers, the takers. But they had that time. And I guarantee you, later on in their lives, the apostles really loved those times with the boat ride or those times when they got to pray alone with Jesus there in the garden or, or when they gathered for meals and they talked about, look, the friendships reinvigorate you. Time away recharges you. Don't, don't fail to plan for that. Fair enough? So, oops, I hit the wrong slide. Here we go. So number two, faith is like vision. It leaks. If you forget who you are, if you forget what you're up to, if you forget the reason you're doing things, who are you? I mean, why do you do what you do? If you forget as a Christian what we believe and why we live the way we do, you won't want to do it anymore. Does that make sense? We have a phrase here that we like to say a lot at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. Ministry only happens in relationships. You'll hear it from the staff and group leaders all the time. Ministry only happens in relationships. It's difficult to do any kind of ministry at arm's length and at a distance. You have to be willing to have relationships with people, to get down and dirty with folks, to let people let you down and let them down and let people annoy you sometimes and, and get involved in people's lives and give of yourself and, and invest in people. This is a part of relationships. And that's where ministry gets to happen. It's where you get to laugh with people, to cry with people. And it's important. you got to be reminded. And that's why we say it a lot. Ministry only happens in relationships. It's so much easier to just make a policy or a procedure, set something up and just do it. But it's, it's much better to do it with other people and together do the work of the ministry, together do the life of the church, together study these passages, do life groups, do group meals, do group projects, serve together. This is relationship. That's who we are as a congregation. And we have to say that to ourselves continually to remember that's how we do it. Life sneaks up on us and often carries us away. We need to remind ourselves from time to time exactly who we are and what we're called to do. And this is kind of what Jesus is doing for those apostles there. And, and, and he looks out and he sees all these hungry people. And he says, you feed them. Apostles like, I was here to take a break. It's kind of vacation day, you know. And Jesus is like, no, you feed them. 
the apostles, send them away. Send them away off into the towns. Let them go get some food. Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news has to be taught. That's what we do, guys. Can I point something out to you? Who did the feeding and the collecting of the baskets in the passage that you're reading in the Bible? Was it Bartholomew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Peter? No. The disciples are doing the feeding and the collecting. Where are the apostles? They're, for all accounts and purposes, they're kind of brooding. Our break time, big dumb crowd. The boat. Let's get back in the boat. Come on, get back in. Get back in. Let's go somewhere else. Let's be taking our time. I'm tired. I didn't get to tell my story. Let James talk the whole time. You know, the, this is the kind of thing that the apostles are sort of doing. The scripture really kind of lays the groundwork. The, it's the disciples that seem to be doing the the giving and the receiving, and the apostles are the ones who are kind of sitting back, not wanting to help. It would appear. Now, be careful how far you take that. But Jesus's miracle on that day was not just for the crowd of hungry people as much as it was for his apostles to remind them, hey, I'm God. Okay? My mission here and your mission too is to serve and to teach and to transform this community by loving God and loving these people. Sound familiar? When, when Jesus is encountering that crowd and feeding this crowd and feeding these, all these people who are hungry, it's as much for the apostles as it is for the disciples as it is for the crowd of gathered people. That is so important, friends. It's so incredibly important that you pay attention to what's happening in this moment. Jesus is reminding them, and he's reinvesting in them that their faith needs to be strong. Those apostles watched as some loaves and some fish fed a monster crowd. And as, as this is all over, 12 baskets come back, and it's laid right there in front of the apostles. 12 baskets? 12. Well, that's interesting, because there's, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and there's 12 apostles back here. And of this crowd, this monster crowd of people, they're representing the people of Israel, and the Messiah of Israel is right up front, and he's taking the seven and feeding the twelve. It is rich to the people of that, of that day and age, the, the Hebrew people who are experiencing this. It is rich what's happening to them. And everybody's seeing that Jesus had a plan before this ever began. Let me ask him, do you think God knew. You think God, Jesus is God, okay, in the flesh. The beautiful mystery that he's 100% God, 100% man. In this moment, do you think God knew there would be exactly 12 baskets left over at the end? <laughs> yeah. And, and do you think the apostles were sitting there going, well, that's a dramatic irony that there's 12 left and there's 12 of us. You think maybe each one was sitting there holding the basket going, my lack of faith. I like to wonder what was in each basket, totally off the scripture, but I would love it if we could go back in time and just kind of look. I would love it if there was five loaves and two fish in each basket. <laughs> I'd love it if each apostle was sitting there kind of going, oh. But the illustration is plain. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Hey, the one who created fish can certainly multiply fish, don't you think? The one that created the grain you make the bread with, don't you think he was capable? Don't you think that the God who invented DNA and the cell 
that put the earth into motion and created things according to their kind and put it there and said, ping, ready to go for you. Don't you think that that God was capable of doing a pretty dramatic miracle at that moment? And, and in doing so, don't you think everybody in that crowd was suddenly realizing that is special? We all just ate. And by the way, that was the best fish I ever had. What was that about? In that moment, Jesus was demonstrating he is the Messiah for his people. And that through him, provision is made for everyone. And that, and that through Jesus, provision is made not just for my, for my stomach, but also for my mind and my soul. And it's almost as if they ate and now they were thinking, teach me more. And Jesus continues to teach this crowd until it's time to go. This moment is huge because the message here, the message of the gospel is validated by Jesus' compassion. Now, who was listening? The message of the gospel is validated by Jesus' action, his compassion on those people. Let me give you a phrase. Sometimes you have to earn the right to be heard. Sometimes you have to earn the right to be heard, okay? When people see that you're for real, they'll listen to you. But people are skeptical, and they're not always going to just trust you. That's why at Sturgeon Bay Community Church, we believe strongly ministry happens in relationships, and relationships mean we give of ourselves to other people. In, in the, the way that we program here, we fund our missions ministry, not just by budget, but also by having its own fund. You can put money into that so that we can serve our community through our compassion, through our work with loaves and fishes, through our partnership with City on the Hill in Milwaukee, helping uh, overcome generational poverty. We're also helping our missionaries who, who go to Swaziland. Uh, Michael, who just came back from Mozambique today, for Noe and Bethany over in Beni Congo, where, by the way, they're operating right smack in the middle of Boko Haram. And we're helping them do what they do. Mark and Josie, who are in the Himalayas right now, preparing uh, for ministry there. Folks, we build relationships. We give of ourselves, and we earn the right to be heard by serving people. And when they see the difference in us, they want to know, what's that about? If you say, I love you, but you don't do anything for somebody, what's the real underlying message? You see, Jesus said, I love you, I care about you and your souls. I've come to bring peace. And by the way, I know you're hungry. Here, eat. Oh, wow, okay, thank you. You cared enough to, to know I'm hungry. And this is all that's going on at that moment, you see? And the creator, provider, Messiah is meeting needs and providing imagery for these people so that their minds can be open and they can continue to learn. But fourthly today, as we, as we close this one out, the question I think a lot of us have as we approach the Scripture today, is Scripture chauvinistic? Was Jesus a chauvinist? Was, were the apostles, was, was Paul, were these chauvinists? Were these people who saw men as important and women as secondary or as property? You see, that's the narrative we're starting to hear in a lot of our culture again today. A am I the only one who's hearing that? Okay, so Let's be prepared to give an answer when people challenge or question. I think that's important for us. If you read the Old Testament and you put yourselves back 4,000 years ago, that's a long time, okay? None of you are 4,000-year-olds, right? N nobody, no nobody like that? Okay. Dennis, are you out there? No? Okay. As we, as, we, as we roll back, as we roll back in history, we have to be careful that we don't judge people 4,000 years ago based on our 21st century sensibilities, okay? Can you do that? Let's be fair. Um, C.S. Lewis calls this uh, 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 chronological snobbery. 
when we look at the past and judge them according to our values? Is it fair to look at the founding fathers of the United States of America and judge them by 21st century values and morals and ideologies? That's not fair. Where they were was so many light years ahead where the rest of the world, from where the rest of the world was at that time. It's for us to look back and go, wow, how amazing that they thought in terms of liberty and religious and economic freedom and personal property, how incredible that they thought that way when the rest of the world around them at that time wasn't even beginning to think that way. The French can say what they want, but they weren't living that way yet. So when we, when we look back across history, we have to be careful to get where they are at their point in time and see the world from their lens. Can you do that first? If you're living 4,000 years ago in the Old Testament era in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah or Job, and they're speaking, was there a difference in the way that their cultures and their societies and their places and their times saw men and women and their roles in the world? You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can go ahead and do this. Yes, there was a little different in the way that they saw the world. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, this is about 2,000 years ago-ish, when Jesus is on the scene, when his disciples, when his apostles, when his, when his followers and Paul later on are writing, they are writing into a culture and into a time that's very different than our own. And what they're doing at this moment, Jesus is redeeming culture and trying to bring culture back to the way that it was always supposed to have been. As Paul is writing, as the apostles are writing, that's exactly what they're doing. They're writing into a culture, trying to speak into that culture and demonstrate the way things were supposed to have been. So is it possible that Jesus sat down to a crowd of 5,000 dudes on a hillside? No, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that the people came in droves and throngs around Jesus and it was just 5,000 guys. We know there were other people that had to be there with them. In fact, some of the other apostles articulate. Listen to Matthew. Matthew says, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up um, uh, the 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Matthew makes sure we're noticing that. John you know, John's a pretty conscientious guy, right? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Why do they say this? The men numbered the 5,000. What are they trying to do there? Well, there is something that they're doing, and Paul does later. Uh, and it's a really interesting thing. Paul uses a phrase, you've probably heard it in, in the Corinthians, and he, and he says, I urge women to learn in silence. You remember that? Okay. Now, how many of you hear that? What's the word you focus on there? I urge women to learn in. Yeah, doesn't that kind of like you go, what do you mean silence? Fingers on the chalkboard. Are you kidding me right now? And that's exactly where we zone in. Can I tell you what the people of his day zoned in on? Learn. I urge women to, to what? Learn. You don't teach women. They're feeble-minded weaklings. That's not me. That's them. Okay, don't you dare throw anything at me. To the people of Jesus' day, to Middle Eastern Semitic people, women didn't get educations. Women took care of the kids. They stayed at home where they belonged, barefoot and pregnant. And so for their point of view, women learning, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. Women don't go to the synagogue. They sit in the outer court. When they go to the temple, they're in the outer courts. They don't come in to be sitting under the rabbis. You know, maybe the rabbiettes did some teaching of the younger women, but, but the, the ladies didn't come in and sit in these, in these theological discourses and teachings. What Jesus is doing on this hillside 
is radical, radical. Women and children, and Jesus is teaching them all, what? This is very Hellenistic. This is very often. The Jewish people are like, what's going on here? I don't know if I like this. Wait a minute. Who did Jesus talk to on two different occasions at a well? Women. What? What rabbi is going to talk to a woman, much less a woman of, um, you know, ill repute, kind of wears the red. Jesus is going to be talking to her out here in the middle of the day. Are you kidding me? Paul says, I urge women to learn in silence. What do you mean women to learn? Here's what's happening. This is something, this is a really fascinating thing, by the way. It's called a seed text. Um, and you're, you're going to see this through the scriptures. You'll see it in other in places in scriptures as well. A seed text does this. It, it's, it's a phrase. It's a story. It's a piece of information that reminds you, okay, you need to think about this. And what dawns on you later is probably the point. That's called a seed text. Now, I didn't think about this a lot. I hadn't thought of seed text, I'll be honest with you, in, in 25 years. It was like seminary when we studied this last. This is deep hermeneutical theological waters. And over this, this past week, we were interviewing one of our, our candidates for the student ministry position. This is a young guy, probably not going to be the dude, but really sharp guy. I liked him, but as we're talking to him, this 20-year-old guy drops this term seed text in the middle of the conversation, and all I could think was, you are not old enough to use that. You are not educated enough to be diving into that water. found out later his pastor had used it. That's where he got it from. But, but here's the thing about a seed text. When Paul says, I urge women to learn in silence, Paul is pushing hard at his culture. And I mean, not a little bit. I mean, he's really pushing at that culture. And they're going, learn? What do you mean learn? They need to the, the, you know, be over outside. He's saying, no, they, they'll cover their heads and they'll be in the assembly. What, what, do you, what do you mean in the assembly? They can't come in the assembly. This is just for men. And Paul writes his letters. He's writing his letters out there. Who does he continually note at the beginning and the end of his epistles? <laughs> Ladies. It's hysterical. Junia, he, he's talking about all these apostles and the things they're doing. He mentions Clement and Junia in the same sentence. Don't you think his readers were going, ah, he, he, he talks about Priscilla and Aquila and the impact that they've had in his own personal life as, as people who are champions in the faith. Paul talks about uh, Udia and Senshi there in Philippians as he's closing. And he urges them to come together and to settle their differences. The writers are going, women? You're talking about women? What, what's this, this women thing? The Jews are struggling with this. The Gentiles are like, okay, that's cool. But folks are struggling. Paul is saying things that's forcing you to ask what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to show us? It's really simple. There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor men nor women. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Now, while our roles may be different, before Jesus Christ, you, every single one of you, has the right to a personal relationship with Jesus, to open the scriptures and to learn to be taught, to understand what it is to be a child of Jesus Christ. A female child, a male child, a mom, a dad, a single, a teen, a kid. Jesus said, don't even suffer the children to come to me. Come on. This is fascinating in his culture. And we blow right past that. Why do you think all the apostles recorded it the way they did? Why do you think they wrote it down like that? 5,000 men. You know why? They're wanting you to think. It wasn't just 5,000 men. 
There were women and children there too. Hey, 5,000 guys didn't slip away from the house to hang on a hillside and listen to a carpenter talk, all right? That didn't happen. You know, Tom Villa shows up in town. The guys aren't all leaving and hanging out and listening to Tom all day long. That's not what was going on here. This is the Messiah speaking, and people wanted to hear it. And the crowd was huge. And they were being provided for. And in that crowd, there were lots of hymns and hers. And there were kids, and there were moms and dads. And all of them alike, just like you and I today, are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being given the opportunity to spiritually mature. How about you? What are you doing with what you've learned today? We just did a flyby of a massive passage that theologians across history have spent years and years and years unpacking. <clears throat> and I wonder if we're hearing Jesus teach the importance of taking time to rest and to recenter. I wonder if we're hearing Jesus say, faith is like vision that leaks. You need to be reminded, hey, apostles, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I created fish and bread. And I created these people, and they need me, and they need you. You need to be reminded that your faith is in me, Jesus is saying. And through me, all things are possible. The apostles needed that recharge. I think from time to time, you and I do too, don't we? We forget who we serve. Third, the 12s and the Messianic illustrations, how do those happen? Because Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he knew there were going to be 12 left over. And Jesus is serving a crowd, and he's serving the generations, and he's serving the apostles sitting behind him in the little pouty, broody scene we're painting today. He's doing all of this at the same time. And it could be that in your lives today, Jesus is doing several things at the same time. Are you paying attention? Are you seeing what he's doing? And finally, Jesus is no chauvinist. Paul is no chauvinist. The apostles are no chauvinists. You see, the Bible is saying, each and every one of you is a child of God. While our roles may be different, our value in front of our Savior is exactly the same, as is our responsibility. <clears throat> so, as we get ready, excuse me, as we get ready to close today, here's what I would ask. I want you to think about those four things, and I want you to think about your life right now. Are you resting enough? Are your priorities and values where they need to be? Or, like the apostles, have you kind of lost track of what's important and what's not? To where serving and doing the work of the ministry that God's called you to, to give up your time and your talent and treasure to God's ministry, maybe, hey, maybe that's kid zone. Hey, maybe that's in our, our, our burgeoning student ministry. Maybe that's in life groups. Maybe that's in missions. Maybe that's in buildings and grounds or in our coffee team or our first impressions or tech team over here. Are you able to give of time, talent, and treasure? Are you able to serve? Or are your priorities so out of whack that not only do you not have time for church, you don't have time for family. You don't have time for friends. Jesus is saying, get them in line. Remember the priorities. Is your faith strong enough? Maybe today that's something to be pondering as we get ready to pray. Have you forgotten who you serve? Has God gotten small to you? Has he become so commonplace in your, in your oh, dear Lord, thanks for the food. It's been a good day. Let's eat. That, that you forget who you're, you're talking to? That when you, when you go to pray, you're commanding the ear of the creator of the universe who can do anything? 
Jesus is able to control all of history and do all things. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. By the way, that's you. Continually on the outlook for what is that purpose, that's our role. Are we thinking about these things? Or are we just living kind of day-to-day, hand-to-mouth when it comes to our faith? So let me ask you this. Let's close your eyes, bow your heads. Just get before God, if you would. In these moments, I just want you to ask some of those questions of God. Maybe your question today is, Lord, I need to rest. Lord, I need to recharge. I need to be reinvigorated. Life has gotten complicated. It's gotten busy. So many things have become more important than you, and so many things have become priorities ahead of you and your kingdom and your people. God, show me where I need to just rest and reflect and reprioritize. For others, it's God... You are the creator and the sustainer of all that is. And our faith has gotten small. And things around us have seemed bigger than us. Steps seem too large. Calling seems so impossible. Peace seems unobtainable. The other side of this mountain, the, the other side of the tunnel seems impossible. God, we've forgotten that you're the creator of everything. Let us be reminded of why we're here, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, let us not forget that that's who you are, and that's what we're called to. And that where you call us, you make a way. For others of us, Lord, we've been duped. We've <laughs> We've listened to the loud voices of a foolish and ignorant society telling us that you're a chauvinist and your Bible is anti-women and God doesn't love women and men equally. And Lord, we've acted the fool and entertained some of those ideas. Forgive us for our profound ignorance and our shameful lack of faith and trust in you. God, where our denominations were historically as people, we've failed to empower women to serve and to lead and to and to learn and to be pillars of our faith. God, forgive us for our foolishness. But Lord, help us to understand that while roles are different, our equality before you must be a hallmark of the Christian church and the people who love you and call you Savior. Father God, this morning as we've prayed, as we've thought, as we've listened to your word, I just pray that some of these things will resonate in our hearts and our minds and our soul as we go out from this place. God, I pray that we struggle with some of the things we've, we've heard. I pray that our priorities begin to look more like your priorities, that our appreciation of people look more like yours. I pray that our faith is strengthened, that we're reminded that you're the God who can move mountains and turn five loaves of bread and two fish into enough to feed a crowd of thousands and thousands. That's who we serve. That's who we're supported by. Thank you, God, that that's you. Thank you for calling us and loving us and making salvation possible. 
We just ask that this week ahead is one where we continue to grow and look more like you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our friend, our Savior, our Lord, and through the power of his very real and empowering Holy Spirit. Hey, thank you for your time. Before you go, don't forget, July 23rd is going to be an exciting specially called business meeting here. We get to make some big decisions next week. You'll get some information about it. So mark those calendars and don't forget. Thanks for gathering as a congregation. As you go, go be the church.